With the brand new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone ever on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for just $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 93. It's not about how sensitive your camera is to light, but how sensitive your talent and producers are to the time it takes to light a scene correctly. Suki. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my indie film hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Masterclass, and specifically Werner Herzog's Masterclass. I am super, super, super excited about this course uh, that's going to be coming out real soon. But if you enroll now early, you'll get early access to his course. If you guys don't know who Werner Herzog is, he's an Academy Award-winning director. If you've heard his voice, you'll know who he is. He directed Grizzly Man, among other great documentaries and feature films. He's got a total of 70 feature films, plus over 50 awards. It's remarkable. So he decided to team up with Masterclass to create an amazing online resource for filmmakers as he teaches you, as he says, the essentials of filmmaking that you can learn within two weeks and you definitely don't have to go to film school. This is over five hours of video. You get a workbook that you could download as well as access to Werner as well. So the course is coming out very, very soon, but if you sign up now, you'll get early access. So all you have to do is head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash masterclass to download this amazing course which i've already signed up for because i want to i want to take it the show is also sponsored by freefilmbook.com that's freefilmbook.com where you can go and download your free filmmaking audiobook from audible you get a one book for free download definitely check it out there are and if it's not a film book there's thousands upon tens of thousands of other books you can download so head over to freefilmbook.com and check that out so today, guys, we have a special treat. I was invited by Holly Shorts, uh, the Holly Shorts Film Festival, to speak at a uh, at a panel. Not a panel, actually. It's a fireside chat I did with RB uh, from Stage Thirty Two, and it was a it was a fireside chat about how to brand, market, and build an audience using social media and marketing hustle. And uh, it really went well. It happened last night. And as promised, I wanted to bring it to the tribe for those tribe members who didn't uh, get a chance to come out and uh, see it. It was a packed house, by the way. Uh, it was standing room only. So, And for the tribe members that did come out, thank you so, so much. It was a great meeting, you guys. And I'm so 
humbled by the kind words and inspiration that this podcast and what I do at Indie Film Hustle has provided you guys. So keep that hustle going, man, like I always say. And and don't ever, ever stop chasing that dream. But do it smart, which is what you guys are doing. So anyway, I wanted to uh, bring this uh, this fireside chat with RB, which was great. We talked about so many things between how to brand yourself, how to um, how to use crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, um, social media etiquette, all sorts of different things that uh, both of us talked about. And it's really, really great, great talk. Uh, everybody in the room really, really enjoyed it from what we saw. Everybody was taking a lot of notes, which is always a good sign. So um, this is a long one. I think it's almost two hours. We, we talked a lot. Uh, so please enjoy it. Take it bit by bit. You don't have to sit around for the full two hours, but enjoy it. I think you guys are going to get a lot out of it. And also the audio quality is the best I could get the, uh, from the camera that I had last night, guys. So please bear with me. It is a little bit, uh, you know, not us- not what you're used to, but stick with it. Uh, it's more than acceptable, so you should be able to hear it without a problem. And also before I uh, before we get into the um, to the fireside chat, guys, I want to let you guys know if if you guys are filmmakers and you have short films, I mean you've got to submit to the Holly Shorts Film Festival. And uh, I'm not being paid to say that, by the way. I just love Danny and Theo so much, man. These guys are awesome. They really, really, really believe in filmmakers and wanting to put the spotlight on them. And they're just a, it's a great festival. There's a handful of uh, big L.A. short film festivals or L.A. festivals that deal with shorts, and they by far are the best and treat their filmmakers the best, as opposed to another big short film festival here in Los Angeles that does not treat their filmmakers well, and uh, I would stay away from that one. If you want to know the name of that festival, just message me on Facebook, and I'll be more than happy to let you know. Uh, but this... this um. This film festival is amazing. So uh, it's it's almost over. I think we're going to be, I think that we're going to be going to the closing party on Friday. But next year, oh, and they have, they also have monthly, uh, monthly screenings as well. So definitely check them out. They're doing, they're doing a lot of great stuff. So just check out hollyshorts.com and uh, check out what they're doing. And definitely, if you have a short, this is a festival. Um, if you want to get attention from, the LA area where a lot of mar- uh, people that are in the business show up to this festival. This is one to spend the money on guys. Um, and again, not getting paid to say this. I just love the boys and I love what they're doing. So check it out. Hollyshorts.com. Now, without further ado, let me get to the fireside chat with my main brother from another mother, RB from stage 32. Enjoy guys. Good evening. First, I'm going to walk out, uh, Alex Ferrari from Indie Film Hustle. And for those of you who don't know Alex, he runs the very, very popular website, IndieFilmHustle.com. If you're not familiar with it, definitely check it out. He provides so much content. I don't know how you do it. I don't either. (laughs) Because it's run solely by him. And he also runs a magnificent podcast as well for independent filmmakers. And then I'm going to invite our second panelist here, uh, Richard R.B. Botto, who's the founder and CEO of Stage32.com. And 
for those of you who may not know RB, not only is he the founder and CEO of our networking platform for film creatives, but he himself is also a screenwriter, a producer, and an actor. So he's a creative just like you. And actually, Alex just finished his first uh, film just first this week, right? Yeah, yeah, first feature this week as well. So you're going to be in great hands today. These guys know so much about what's going on in the industry, and I'm looking forward to you guys learning your social media hustle tonight. Well, we wanna, you want to tell everybody a little about you? And, uh, sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Alex Ferrari, guys. I run a website called Indie Film Hustle. I've been in the business for about 20 years, over 20 years now, uh, in um, all areas of, of production, uh, post-production. Um, I've been a director of about 15 years doing commercials and music videos, and I just finished shooting my first uh, feature film uh, last week. And I'm almost done with the edit this week. Don't ask me, I'll, I'll explain how if you want. How I did that, but um, that's where we're at. And I also have the uh, I, I host the number one filmmaking podcast on iTunes, uh, on the Film podcast. And uh, as uh, Amanda was saying, I put out a tremendous amount of content uh, every week, uh, and I do it all by myself. And um, that's the reason why I call it Indie Film Hustle, because I hustle a lot. And this website's only video, so um, within three months, I was the number one filmmaking podcast. Purely because I don't want anybody else's output. <laughs> and I just basically just put so much content out that iTunes said, well, let's give it to you. <laughs> and, um, and so I'm a perfect example of what can be done, especially in social media. Uh, I might bring up my, my account later, uh, but that account started a year ago with zero followers. And prior to starting the film hustle, I was. I kind of left the business for a minute and then came back and I started from scratch. So a lot of stuff we're going to talk about now I've learned over the last year is pretty current. So that's a little bit about myself. You should definitely check out that podcast. It's amazing. He has amazing guests. And, uh, you're 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 a great guest. Well, thank you. <laughs> check out that episode. Um, my name is Rich Bado. Uh, you guys, some of you might know me as RV. If you don't, you Feel free to call me RV. I'm the founder and CEO of Stage 32, which Amanda mentioned is sort of like LinkedIn meets Linder. And if you're not familiar with Linder, it's one of the big educational platforms on the web that was actually purchased by LinkedIn, so we like that comparison. So we're like LinkedIn meets Linda for film creators. We have about 500,000 people worldwide on the site. Since we're talking about social media, the reason I started the platform was because I hated social media. And the reason I hated social media was because as a film creative myself, I wasn't getting anything out of social media. I wasn't getting anything out of Facebook. I wasn't getting anything out of LinkedIn. I didn't care about what people were reading for lunch. I didn't care about their kids. I didn't care about their dogs. The dogs, mostly, actually, I did care about. But if I really cared about them, they would uh, text me or email them to me or whatever. So I just wasn't getting anything out of social media. And I felt that a niche social media site, strictly for the film community, was the way to go. And since nobody else was doing it, I decided to do it in 2011, and now we have about a half million people worldwide that use the site for networking, education, to find work, everything you can think of that you can do on social media and more. Um, I'm also a film creative, as I mentioned. I started as an actor in New York in theater. Uh, I'm a producer. I produced a film that went to Sundance in 2011 called No Happy Day. Uh, writer, um, read by David Greenblatt. Uh, have a film set up a covert media right now that is in the casting phase, or this casting stage, I should say, director attached and all that. So, a little bit of everything and uh, a lot of nothing sometimes, but mostly a little bit of everything. Uh, 
So we're going to talk a lot about social media tonight. I don't know how we want to do this format. We'll, we'll you know, obviously it's sort of like a fireside chat kind of thing, but would you guys prefer asking questions throughout or do you want to wait until the, you know, last half hour? How would you guys like to do it? Don't all answer at once. Throughout. Throughout. Interactive. Let's make it interactive. Okay. All right, cool. Where do you want to begin? Uh, I was a small child. <laughs> um, what was our first? Uh, I believe we, we did put a list together, but so I believe we were creating a, you're creating a brand on social media. Um, well, for me at least, uh, my experience of creating a brand, um, like I said, Indie Muscle just started a year ago, so I, it was it was nothing. It was no brand. It was it was, it was literally nothing in the ether about it at all. So I started it from scratch, and I used social media to build up its. Um, Appearance of being bigger. So a lot of times, uh, I, I use Twitter a lot. Uh, Twitter became my main, um, my main social media proof, if you will, or, or main social media accounts. Uh, I do use Facebook uh, a lot, and actually most of my traffic and attention come from Facebook. But it's Facebook's algorithm and all that kind of stuff just changed so much that to get any sort of traction on Facebook, they just force you to pay. Um, but Twitter, at least for me, what I use Twitter for is for social proof. So when I tweeted RB, uh, which is a lot of ways I got guests, I connected with people, amazing people, that I would never had access to purely because of my Twitter account. And when I tweeted RB, uh, I don't know how many followers I had at that point, but I, I'm assuming when I tweeted, I'm like, hey, it'd be great to, uh, great to, for you to come on the show. I'm sure the first thing RB did was go check my Twitter account see if it was two people following me or if there was 10,000 people. And then based on that appearance, I'm sure he probably did a little bit more. I'm talking about him like he's not in the room. But um, I'm sure he... Uh, Act like I'm not here. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he went to my website and uh, checked things out before we continued we started the conversation. But that Twitter was the first line of defense and I reached out to um, you know, Oscar-winning screenwriters and producers all by Twitter. And I just literally tweet them. It's the most ridiculous thing. I'm like, hey, big fan, would you like to be on the show? And and they, they come back and they're like, yeah, sure. And then sometimes I've gotten CEOs of companies, um, CEOs of companies within five minutes tweet me back, yeah, let's schedule something. And I'm like, I'm sitting in my office by myself. I'm like, God, I'm, like, I'm talking to this huge person in the business has a huge company or something like that. But it all started with Twitter. And you know, I, I, I built Twitter up in a very specific way. I, I have, I think now over 30,000, uh, which I'm way, way behind RB and RB walks into a bar. Not true. Behind <laughs> stage 32, but not behind. Okay, okay. <laughs> behind stage 32, but, um, but for one guy doing it all himself, um, it was pretty impressive, and I was able to do 10,000 real followers in 10 weeks, and I created a whole course on it. I'm not going to sell the course but I created a whole course because it's a technique that I used to do it, and I found real film people, people who are interested in my message and the content I created. And the biggest thing, the biggest advice I could give anybody trying to build a brand on social media is you have to provide value. That's the big thing. You have to provide value. Now, what is value? Um, I, I offer educational stuff for, because my target audience, and you have to understand your target audience, um, my target audience is filmmakers, independent filmmakers. So I create a lot of content that's aimed at that target audience. But it doesn't have to be just educational stuff. It could be you're the funny guy. You write jokes every day and entertain them. 
Harvey walks in the bar. His Twitter feed's awesome. It's funny. It, it's him. It's him doing stuff. So, you know, you provide entertainment, you provide information, you provide inspiration. There's entire Twitter accounts and social media platforms based just on inspirational quotes. Um, and, but that's value to the people. So that's the first thing you have to think about is value, not trying to sell. If you try to sell, people will smell it and won't bother you. You've got to provide value. So it's basically like uh, Gary Vanderchuk. Um, if you guys don't know Gary Vanderchuk, you can definitely look him up. He wrote a book called uh, was it Jab Jab Right Hook. And basically what that means is you, you just give, give free, give free, give free stuff, give free stuff away, give free stuff away. And then, you better, that's the jab, the jab, the jab, the jab. And then you come in for the right hook, which is a sales pitch. But you, you give money more jabs than you give the sales pitch. And that's a mistake a lot of people who don't understand social media do, is that they'll, they'll just start selling and selling. Buy my stuff, check out my thing, crowdfund. Oh God, how many crowdfunding campaigns do you get on a daily basis? You know, and I just went through crowdfunding my camp, my first one. Um, and we could talk about crowdfunding later, but um, you have to you have to kind of provide that value. And then we can also talk about social media etiquette. I think it's something we should definitely talk about. Yeah, I, well, I think there's a, a lot that you have there, a lot that you put out there. I think that one of the first things I want to talk about is um, that you mentioned was that I looked at your the number of followers. Not necessarily true. Okay. What I looked at was your interaction with people, um, your engagement, okay. and, and the content and the quality of the content which you, which you brought up as well. The value that you were bringing to other people. Sometimes I think people get caught up in follower accounts and networking uh, numbers and things like that. On stage 32, very often there'll be this battle between creatives on, well, you have 10,000 people in your network. You don't know how to network. Well, that's not true. That's the way that he, this person is choosing to network. Everybody chooses to network in a different way. Think about it the way you are in real life. Some of you probably have a bunch of friends. Some of you have a few friends. Some of you probably have a ton of acquaintances. And some of you may have just a few acquaintances. No, there's nothing to say which is right or which is wrong. It's what's good for you. The, the whole idea behind branding online is to let people know, like you said, I, like, you know, has a lot of me and my, and my, and there's a lot of you and you and yours. It's letting people know who you are, what you're about, what you're looking to do, what you're looking to accomplish. So there's that. Alex talked about how do you engage people and what you're offering and the value and the idea of jab, jab, right hook. This idea that you know you need to be a giver first, and that just because you sign up for a social media account doesn't mean you're being handed the only microphone on earth, and that you get to be a broadcaster. Most people on Twitter and on a lot of social media sites, I mean, you sign up for Stage 32, you get my welcome message, and it's this whole long thing telling you about what the site's about and everything like that. Most people will respond and say, this is fantastic, thank you. You will get the person occasionally that will come on and say, check out my crowdfunding campaign, or hey, how do I get a manager, or hey, and it's an instant ignore, because you're basically, you basically have ignored every all the information that I just gave you. You're not engaging me, you're not asking questions, but I should expand on that. A lot of people feel like they don't have an entryway on social media. There is There are three entryways on social media that everybody can do. One is be complimentary. Alex puts something up, you find that article really interesting, or his podcast really interesting. Hey, thanks, Alex. That's really, really cool. You, you know, thanks for doing that. I really appreciate it. Great stuff. It's a nice little entryway. Okay, it puts your face, your avatar, your handle, you in front of him. The second way is to say, hey, 
Why did you do that? Why did you have that guest on? And why did you put that piece of content up? But what what made you? So it's asking questions. It's the second. What made you? You know, decide to do that. Asking questions creates engagement. It creates curiosity, and it makes it about the other person. Okay. And then the third thing is just sharing content yourself. And it doesn't have to be content that you write, but if it is, all the better. But it's sharing content that you think will be informative and helpful to people who are following you or who are in your, who are in your network. Those are three really easy entry ways for every introvert, it doesn't matter if you're an introvert or if you're just new to social media, to get engagement going, to get the conversation going. But what a lot of people do on social media is they immediately get on and, like I said, they start acting like a broadcaster. Okay? Look at me, look at me, look at me. Now imagine tonight, after this is all over, we're gonna have a little cocktail thing after it's you know done, and I'm sure a lot of you have films here. And you know, imagine you're standing here in the crowd, and this gentleman's having a cocktail with somebody, and you walk up to him behind him and go, hey, I have a movie playing Thursday night. <laughs> okay. Be social media etiquette. Yeah, exactly. That's social media etiquette, yeah. What, you know, and you're completely ignored and on social media, you'd be blocked or you'd be whatever. But this goes on every, you wouldn't do it here. Or, hey, I have a crowdfunding campaign, give me a dollar. I'm making a film, give me a dollar. No. Okay. So, you know, if it doesn't work in the real world, it's not going to work on social media. And that's, we can segue into etiquette with that. But I just wanted to, to you know, touch on a lot of the things that, that Alex said here because they're all very, very valid. It's, it's all about bringing value to other people first, building and cultivating relationships first, and then once you gain people's trust in who you are and, an and when they have an understanding of who you are and what you're about, then it's okay to ask. It's like building a friendship. And I'll just say before we get to dedicate, because I want this to be sort of a theme, I think you'll agree with this, social media is a long game. It's not a short game. It's a long game. Cultivating relationships, think about every relationship you've had in your life, professional and personal, and how long it took to cultivate that relationship, and the value you have in those relationships now, is no different on social media. And I'll use my relationship with RV as a perfect example. I mean, we met on Twitter. We, uh, I love went, it first time. It was love, obviously, it was love at first time, obviously. Um, and I invited him on the show. We had this amazing interview that lasted like an hour and a half. It was actually so all over the place, meaning that we covered so many topics, I called it the blueprint for success in the film industry. Because we just riffed for like an hour and a half. And we could have kept going. And we just stopped, because it was starting to get ridiculous. But from that point, we we built we started building the relationship, and and then you know a few months go by and they're like, hey, why don't you come over to, to say so too? We're going to do this Oscar special, and we sat there and talked for two and a half hours that night. That day. We planned an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, we just kept ripping and talking, but that and then our relationship started building up and we become friends and and we you know and I know RV is a world traveler, so it's hard. You know, this is amazing. You guys are in luck. I'm a hologram. He's a hologram. He's actually not too far. But um, but we we tweet each other all the time. <laughs> we we really do. It's it's so when I say that it sounds ridiculous. I'm like a grown adult man, and I'm like he tweets me and I tweet him. It's like so ridiculous. But it's the world we live in today. You know, I was like RV before I started the film hustle. I didn't really care about social media. I had my Facebook page and I post anytime I saw something funny from the '80s. I would post it or something like that. It was. It was just kind of like, oh, whatever, and I, and of course, I would see my high school friends, and that would be it. It just never, never meant, never connected. But, 
But unfortunately, it, fortunately or unfortunately, it is the world we live in today. And social media is such a powerful tool. And I'm a, a perfect example of that that you know, most people will be able to do. But RB's right. It is a long game. And that's a general theme for your entire career in the film industry. It is a long game. From, from branding to marketing to you know, writer, a director, an actor, it's all a long game. If you think it's going to happen in a year, get out. It's not. And same thing goes for um, branding and social media. I've been, I'm very aggressive at, in, in my marketing uh, and in my hustle, as you will. So I've been able to achieve a lot within a short amount of time. But it's a obscene amount of work. I don't think anybody should do what I do. Uh, but, it's, but it's work. And it takes a long time to build these relationships up. And, and actually see any result, like, you know, from, you know, we do get traffic from Twitter, but it's not like, it, I'm sure, I don't even have to say your numbers, but yeah, they have over 100,000 on stage 32. I'm doubting that they get 20,000 hits a day from Twitter. Oh, but, but again, it's the branding part of it, too. What are we looking to do? We're looking to get the message of the brand out there, right? We're trying right. to share content that people care about and that, you know, reflects the brand. And you know, one thing I definitely want to hit on that you said, it is work, okay, but it is worthwhile work. Yeah. Look, it is silly to sit here and say, I tweeted this one, or I'm gonna IG today and all these other things, and you know, <laughs> I you know it is. But the but the concept of social media is not silly because here's the thing. Ultimately at the end of the day, you guys are here for one reason, right? Or a couple of reasons I should say. You're here at this panel right now to learn, but you're also here to network, okay? Well, you can do all that online. You can do all that on social media. There is information being pumped out there 24-7. Like I said, you go to Alex's feed, you'll have enough content to last you for days, if not weeks, if not months. Okay, But you also have the opportunity to engage. So for me, as a film creative, social media is a job. I spend as much, I tell everybody, I preach this on stage 32 all the time. I've gotten to speak, I'm very blessed that I've gotten to speak about this all over the world, but I tell people, no matter where I'm talking, that, that this is your job. I treat social media with the same respect that I actually treat honing my craft or if I'm producing a movie, the business of that movie, because it matters. It should be 50% of my job, because here's the thing, you could spend all day, all day creating, you guys, have, a lot of you have made short films, all right? If you don't have contacts, if you don't have relationships, to get that film out there, or to get people to the film, to crowdsource people, which we're going to talk about later on, um, to you know find people who I'll give you a perfect example of this. You know, we were talking the other night we did a panel here, and one of the filmmakers had a film at Sundance, and he was talking about the fact that he met a producer ten years ago, and took that producer to lunch every week for seven years. Okay, every week. For seven years, and she would be willing, you know, and they became friends and everything. They built up that relationship, built up that relationship. When they couldn't connect live, they connected through social media just to stay connected. If one of them was on film or someone who was working, whatever, whatever. When the time came for his feature, that when he had a feature and when he needed producing help, he pushed the button and he said, Would you help me? And it was because he spent that all that time curating, cultivating, and treating it like it was a job. He said it was my job to keep that relationship alive. She ended up producing that film, that film show at Sundance this year, uh, this year. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it is the closing film here at Hollywood Shorts on Saturday. So it just goes to show you that it's a long game, that it is work, that it is a sacrifice at times. But you know, to me, 
If I haven't put in my time on social media, I don't need to be binge-watching Mad Men that night or binge-watching what the hell is on House of Cards that night. I'm going to spend that time. If I'm watching a freaking Met game, and I, you know, I can sit there and do social media while I'm watching the game. If I'm at the line of Starbucks, I can do, that's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is you can do it from anywhere, and there's no excuse not to do it. It's not a matter, and what most people, a lot of people get that, but a lot of people don't get how to do it right. And to make sure that if people are responding to you, that you're responding back, that people are engaging you in any way, that you're engaging back, and that you are cultivating and creating those relationships. And I'll go right back to the first thing I just said about Alex, was that when he did ping me about being on his uh, on the podcast, it really was, let me see how he puts himself out there, what, it, what he's got out there, and the information blew me away, and the amount of the guests he had blew me away, and the way that he interacted with people blew me away. And I said, yeah, I want a freaking piece of this. You know, and, but that was it. You know, and then the relationship grew over time. That's the way it gets done. It's a job. And just to give you an example of those relationships that are so important, um, for my film that I just did, um, I know the, the lead actress of the movie for eight years. I met her about three months after I got to LA. We did a small little short film, and we always stayed in touch. We did a few projects here and there, a little web series here, a little thing there. And, um, you know, she's not a huge star, but she's really talented. She's been on TV, she's been on all this kind of stuff, and she's wonderful. And I finally decided, like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull that trigger. I'm gonna go make a movie. And I'm not gonna wait around for anybody to tell me to make a movie. I'm not gonna wait around for a budget. I'm gonna do it at a price that I can afford. And I'm just gonna go, have, go out and have some fun. So I called her up, and I go, Jill, do you wanna make a movie? I wanna put you as a star, I'm gonna write this kind of story about what we're gonna make a movie. She's like, all right. And I know that Jill has a tremendous amount of connections throughout the business. All her friends are known actors who are, if I you know, showed you pictures or threw out their names, you would know them. And she, I go, okay, this is our, this is our shot, let's go. So then she pulled her triggers of all those relationships that she's pulled over the years. And all of a sudden we kind of put this perfect storm together where we were able to shoot an entire movie in eight days. Um, and it looks amazing. To say for myself, um, and got amazing performances from actors that would never, in a million years, I had no connection to. But because I, I, I nurtured that relationship, not ever thinking maybe maybe one day she was a friend and we always worked together. She was always wonderful. But I just decided to pull that trigger, and that's the key. You have to think about long in eight years, eight years. And she told me she's like, you know, maybe a year ago I probably would have said no, Alex. A year from now I might say no. But when you asked, I was ready. And, and she told me, she's like, I wouldn't do this for anybody. I trust you, and I trust you as a director and as, a, as an artist and as also a technical guy to make sure everything looks good. And it worked out. But it's all about those relationships, guys. Um, and the one thing I wanted to touch upon with social media etiquette, which is the whole thing that you were talking about, is like, if it doesn't work in reality, it, it won't work on social media. So please, if you have a crowdfunding campaign, don't... Don't just email us about it. Don't just say, hey, here's my crowdfunding campaign. This is the way you should approach someone, anyone, not us because we're nobodies, but, but anybody you're trying to get attention from. You email them and go, hey, I like what you're doing. I really like this article you wrote or this movie you were in or something like that. And you, 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 and you oddly enough, it's kind of like what you do in real life. You pay them compliments. They go, man, I love what you're doing. Keep up the good work. No attack. There's not. I don't want anything from you. I'm just giving you a compliment. Anytime somebody does that to me, I always take notice. 
any of the followers that I have that contact me that way, I always take notice. So when, and then little by little, they're like, hey man, great stuff, great stuff. So they're jabbing me. They're jabbing me. They're finally, they're like, hey man, after we've already started building that relationship up, even if it's something superficial, but at least it's something. And they go, look, man, I, I just want, can, do you mind taking a look at this trailer for my new movie? I'd love to hear your opinion. Not, hey, will you post this on my web, on your on your website? Hey, can I be a, a, a guest on your podcast? You know how many guys have like done this routine with me? And then after I looked at the work, and I'm like, wow, this is really cool. I go, hey, would you like to be on my podcast? Or hey, would you like to write an article about the movie? I think it'd be beneficial to my audience. Because they went about it the right way. And that's how you approach people like that. You know, I've got, I just had Jim Gould's on um, the writer from uh, writer of Fight Club. I tweeted him. Tweeted him. And hey, when I say that, just read it. Um, I tweeted him, I go, hey, Jim, big fan. I'd love to have him on the show. And Jim's like, hey, I'd love to be on the show. I'm like, holy shit. I'm the writer of Fight Club. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And we worked over the next two months to schedule it because it's very busy. And I got him on the show. And we hit it off like it. All because of building that relationship up. I'm offering something to him. I'm not asking anything of him. Because I'm offering him my audience. I'm offering him my whatever little spotlight I have. And because of that, I provided value to him because he has things he wants. He wants his name to get out there even more. And he has a, a you know he has a course that he's trying to sell and, and so on and so forth. But I provided value to him. So it's again, that's that's again the way you should do it, approach it like you would. Yeah, and it's a selfless approach, right? Everything we we, we always talk about the idea of give first, give second, give third, maybe you give fourth and ask fifth. That really is the way it should be on social media. The jabs, you know, are the compliments. The jabs are the asking of questions. You know, the, the crosses are when you build up that relationship and you have enough social, you build up enough social currency, so to speak, that you're able to, you're able to ask those questions. By the way, this is why so many crowdfunding campaigns fail. And you know, I know we're going to talk a little bit about crowdfunding versus crowdsourcing and what one is versus the other and how one is involved in the other and all that. But the reality of the situation is the reason why so many crowdfunding campaigns fail is because people just launch. They launch with no strategy. They launch with no connections. They launch with no credibility. They launch with no social power behind them. That's a problem. Really, a sort of crowdfunding campaign starts three to six months before you ever press that launch button, before you ever press that submit button. That's why so many of them fail. We can get into the minutia of it as we move along, but it's the fact that matter, you know, like you said, how many people just hit you up and say, look at my crowdfunding campaign. It happens every day, multiple times a day. And I go and every once in a while, I'll go and I'll check and see how those campaigns are doing. And I can tell you that 99.9% of the time they're failing. I'll even get the ones that, these are my favorites, that say, I have six hours to go, help me reach my goal. I click through it and they're trying to raise $75,000 and they have like 980 in. And I'm like, well, let me just write you a check for 74 or two. Let me get you to the goal there. Um, but it happens all the time. The people that I've donated money to, uh, you know, for crowdfunding campaigns, or the people that have really, really cultivated relationships with me over time, not just because of Sage 32, but because they know my interests match up with their interests. For example, 
Okay? People, if you follow my Twitter account, you'll know certain things I like, certain movies I like, certain sports I follow. I pepper my, you know, film stuff with some of my personal stuff. They see where I travel to, things like that. I had somebody come, they were doing a, uh, a football movie, a movie about football, I'm a big football fan, and it was a whole, you know, story about um, uh, a kid who, it's a long story, it doesn't really matter, but the point of the matter is, is that this was somebody that over time had built up this relationship with me on social media, speaking about not only his film pursuits, but about football and his fan, you know, football fandom, so to speak. When the time came and he said, would you throw your weight around that, you know, behind this, I was like, yeah, because it also had a social message to it as well. It was, you know, had some depth to it. And I was like, yeah, I was happy to take the message and carry that message forward. So guess what? Not only did he get me, he got all my followers. He got all my people on stage 32. He got everybody because he had built that relationship with me because he knew about me and because he had spent, man, a year, two years building that relationship with me and then was ready to go. That's really compelling in a lot of ways. That's, that's compelling, you know, you want it to be compelling to you. Think about if somebody was approaching you and made it personal. Well, if they made it personal, now all of a sudden you're engaged, you're involved. You know, just to, to kind of tease, I guess, we're gonna to get into the crowdfunding versus crowdsourcing thing. Crowdfunding, I'll just thought, well, we might as well maybe jump into it a little bit. You know, crowdfunding, you guys know what it is. It's the raising the money, obviously, from donors and all that. Crowdsourcing, very, very simply, and I'm writing a book for Focal Press on film crowdsourcing, that now that I'm building a relationship with you guys, if I ever get done with the goddamn thing, oh, it does come out at some time in the next century, hopefully you'll buy it, because now you're going to talk about it. Um, no, I'm almost at the end. But, uh, it's in stone, right? It's in, it's in, yeah, I'm chiseling it. That's exactly right. I'm on my last tablet. Um, the, uh, the, the whole thing, you know, everybody talks about crowdsourcing as it's, you know, it's marketing, it's this, it's that. There's an element of marketing to it, but ultimately at the end of the day, crowdsourcing is, in, in simplest terms, is identifying, engaging, and moving an audience. Who is your audience? Think about who you want your, who's your audience for your brand? For his brand, it's people that are involved in this business, filmmakers, every type of film creative out there. And also, maybe on a sub-level, is movie fans, okay? So, who's his target audience? Who is he gonna identify as his target audience? He's gonna identify people in this room. People like you on Twitter, people like you on social media, people like you who are writing articles and blogs and, and things like that. He's going to identify you. Then he is going to engage you. How is he gonna engage you? By putting quality content in front of you, by asking you questions, by complimenting you, by making you a part of what he is going, what he's doing. And as he builds up those relationships over time, when he gets to the point where he is ready to put this program in front of you, what is he gonna do? He's going to move you. He's going to ask you to carry the message of what he is doing forward. And at that point, because he's engaged you for so long and involved you in what he's doing for so long, you're gonna sit there and say, absolutely, I'm gonna stand up beside you and walk beside you. And by, by the way, I said beside you, not behind you, okay? You want people to line up like this with you and walk forward. You want an army, okay? But you create that army by identifying them first, engaging them second and moving in third. And that's why I also said that it wasn't so much the, the follower count. No, you're right, you're absolutely right. Because people get caught up in that and then people go and buy Twitter followers and they buy, don't do it. You'd rather have a thousand quality followers and you know, and people in your network than a hundred thousand that don't give a shit about what you're doing. 
and that you'll never move anywhere ever, and that won't be engaged with you at all. Quality over quantity. But also, but anyone who's savvy will know the difference. Like you would have easily gone to if I had a hundred thousand bot Twitter followers. Well, you could find it out. I mean, there's a million programs out there to figure that out. Yeah, so. it's like yeah, they're all from Bangladesh, generally speaking. Probably not real. Um, yeah, you don't want to hire a click farm. I mean, look. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you want real you want real followers because you want real relationships. You want to be able to move real people. You want those people. Look, if, if I can engage every one of you in this room for what I'm doing, let's let's use the crowd the crowdsourcing book as an example. If I cultivated this this relationship with you or a relationship with you over the next year, and then I finally say to you guys, hey, look, the book is coming out. I think you're going to find it really informative. Please let me know what you think about it. But more importantly, if you buy it. Please review it and please tell other people about it. You're probably going to be inclined to help me out. Most of you will be if I've done things the right way. And guess what? Now I'm getting, like I said earlier, all of your followers too, because all the people that trust you now trust me. Think about the power of that, and then think about why certain crowdfunding campaigns can raise a hundred thousand dollars and other ones can't raise a thousand. That's the reason why the ones that raise a hundred thousand have the planning and the plan in place to be able to, when they push that button, move an audience, move a crowd of supporters. That's really what it's about, and it all begins with building your brand and letting people know who you are, what you're about, and why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and before we get into crowdfunding and crowdsourcing, I want to talk a bit about brand uh, and building your brand. You have to you have to ask yourself you know when I when I started doing film hustle I asked myself what kind of brand do I want to be do I do I want to be kind of like a faceless brand that doesn't have a name behind it you know um, which there's nothing wrong with that so let's say no film school you know we, we know Ryan runs no film school but Ryan's not his face is not out there it's not that it's, he's not that guy so that's the kind of brand he's built he's built an amazing brand no film school is an amazing brand um, but. I decided to pick, I wanted to associate myself with my brand, so they're interchangeable. Like it's, it's, it'd be very difficult for me to sell anything muscle to anybody, because it's so ingrained within me that that is just the way I wanted to do it. Because in the back of my head, I wanted to build me up as a filmmaker, as a director, as a thought leader, as an authority in the space. And I was very calculated in why I did that. So when you see any film hustle on, the, on my website, it says with Alex Ferrari, and then you've got a crazy picture of me holding it. If you can bring it up, it's, it's like, just go to anythingmuscle.com. And by the way, this picture tells you everything you need to know about Alex. That's the other thing. It's great. Like, you know, you laugh, but, but you laugh, but it's, but it's the branding. It's a perfect picture for what he's doing, in my opinion. So if you go. All right. So that's me. It's good branding. All right. So that's my picture. So you can see there, I tell you what my what I'm doing, I'm showing you how to survive and thrive in the film business, and I have my name there, and then I've got that, and of course sign up for my newsletter. Um, but that's my brand. So that perfectly, and everybody's right, it perfectly is it encapsulates me as a person, as the kind of information you're going to get, and because I, I'm not filtered. Uh, all my content is very non-filtered, um, very real, very raw, very... In your face. But you also, you also, what I think you get from that picture too, and it's totally true about your show. It's fun. The show is fun. Exactly. It's not, you're not going to be bored to death. You're not going to. No. I mean, it's fun. It's fun, exactly. And I've had a lot of, 
I've had a lot of followers that I've met over the years, or over the years, over the months, um, that have told me, like, yeah, you know, I was looking for something about indie film, and I saw your website, and it just looked fun. You know, and I was like, wow, I guess it, I guess it is fun, because I'm, I'm a lunatic, look at me. Um, but that was a very specific brand choice, and I chose to associate myself very closely with my brand. And then RB has Stage 32, which he's also closely identified with his brand, but RB's face is not next to the logo as a general statement, and that's, see, it's a very more, it's a, it's a different kind of branding. But, well, but everybody who knows Stage 32 knows RB. Well, I have two things to that. The first thing is, the branding is you on this, your, you know, your dreams. Yeah, your life, your passion, life, your passion, your dreams. It's about you. Yeah. Now, when you sign up, there is a brand choice. When you sign up for Stage 32, what's the first thing that happens? You get my face on your wall, and you get a welcome message from me. Yep. And immediately, the, the purpose of that, the reason I made that decision to do that was a couple of, there was a few reasons. One, I wanted you guys to get to know me, okay, and what I'm about. Two, I wanted to state right off the bat that I am a creative just like you. So that you don't think that this is a nameless, faceless, you know, that some guy came up with this idea, he's just a business-oriented guy, and he doesn't, you know, he's preying on the, 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 the weakness of the creatives, as I've, been, as I've heard in the past, when people yes. are like, you're preying on creatives. On like, I am a creative. On artists. Yeah. I am preying on artists. Um, you know, so I wanted, and the, and the third reason was I wanted to make it clear, because in that welcome message, I say, this is a, this is a platform for you, built by you. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, you're going to get out what you put in. And that's true of any networking site. This whole idea that, like, you know, I always say to people, look, when people say to me, Stage 32 is amazing, it's great, and I, I tell people, I said, thank you for the compliments, fantastic, I appreciate it, but the community is what makes this site. The community is what makes the network. If I didn't have these 500,000 creatives who were engaged and positive and networking and being, in, being uh, uh, engaged and sharing content and, and putting projects up and, and making posts and being active in the Stage 32 Lounge and all that, we wouldn't have a platform. We'd have a shell, okay? So it really, that message is the branding. That welcome message is supposed to be disarming because let's face it, and don't tell me you're not, as creatives, pretty freaking cynical, aren't we? I'll just be a bit. Right? We don't trust anything, do Filmmakers we? Filmmakers are, are the toughest audience. Well, and it's, it's, it's hard not to. And it's not no, hard. It's true. No, no, it's true. No, I'm with you. The filmmaking, the filmmakers are the most cynical, hard, like hard to crack. They're not like the, the stay-at-home mom who wants to start knitting and wants to go on, uh, you know, what's that, that site that sells things that you make on Ravelry. Oh, no, Etsy. Ravelry is the uh, social media site. They're like, you know, like, oh, wow, yeah, this is great. I'll buy that. How much? 500 bucks someone had a knit? Sure. I'll... The filmmakers have been abused so much. It, they're so cynical. So and you need to have, and that's the other thing we need to talk about, authenticity. Yeah. And that's what both of us are. We're authentic with who we are and what our brand is. I'm not posing as somebody else. I'm not pretending to be anything else. Anything I say uh, is because I've walked the walk. I, I, I talk the talk and I walk the walk. So if I say, hey, I've been here 20 years doing this, this is why I've been able to, this is why I'm giving you the advice I give you. I'm not going to give you personal advice on how to write a screenplay that wins an Oscar because guess what? I haven't done that. But I will tell you how to finish a movie, get it finished in post, deliverable set up, and get it out to a distributor because I do have experience with that. 
and I have an IMDb credits to prove it. So that's the authenticity of your brand. So you have to be authentic with who you are. And I, and I've had a lot of uh, friends of mine who's like, man, I want to kind of start a, you know, and I've, I've networked with a bunch of these other guys who have similar sites to us, and you know, a lot of them, and I love them to death, but they they're like, man, I don't have 20 years of experience. I'm like, then just just like, hey, I'm, I'm I'm this is your brand. I'm just like you guys. I'm figuring it out along the way. I'm gonna go and, and make a movie, and I'm gonna see what I'm gonna do. And that's your brand. Be just. Just own who you are and stop trying to be someone you're not. Because this cynical crowd will figure it out really, really quickly. And you will not get anywhere. Well, and, and the other thing about being authentic is that you're not going to want to just be a one-trick pony, right? You know, like, in other words, or have one project in you. No matter what you do in life, you have to deliver on your word. And on online, you know, you may be able to hide from it from some people in the real world, quote unquote, real world, but online it's impossible to hide because everything is out there for everybody to see. The beauty of crowdfunding a movie, and you know, Alex just crowdfunded one, and he did it because he had these relationships, you were able to raise that money. But the beauty of raising a crowdfunding campaign, for example, or, or doing a crowdfunding campaign and being successful in it, the first crowdfunding campaign that you ever do, you're probably going to get more money in based on the project and the subject matter, and you're going to be curating those relationships, of course, people that you know are going to be interested in that subject matter, then you are in you, because you're an unknown commodity. But deliver on the movie, deliver on the promise, deliver on your, your gifts or whatever you're giving out, deliver on all of this stuff, and guess what? It doesn't matter what the next film is. It doesn't matter what the subject matter is. You can go crowdsource a whole new crowd for that subject matter, but the people that followed you before are gonna follow you again and not even care what the subject matter is. Perfect example of that. this. I have a filmmaker friend who raised about 15 grand for his first film, it was a short, and it was a short about native Indians. And he went to all the proper channels that you could think of that he felt would be interested in this kind of film, raised money, made a tremendous film, kept his word on everything, kept people interested and involved and engaged way after he had closed the money through the distribution, but through post, through the distribution process, through everything, okay? His second film was a feature film, and it was a musical. And I mean, it could not, the subject matter could have been further away. So he had a whole new crowd to go crowdsource, which he started six months before his second campaign, which were all the people that might be interested in musicals, all the people who, theater people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But he also went back to the first, to the, to the first crowd, the crowd that had followed him before. They didn't even want to know. They were like, your film, that film was so great, you're so amazing, we're in. Doesn't matter what it is, we're in. He has successfully crowdsourced seven, I mean crowdfunded and crowdsourced seven films. That's amazing. And his crowd, and each one of them was a bigger raise, and his crowd follows him everywhere. They only, they only follow him on the donation side. They show up at the festivals. They fill the theaters. He wins audience awards because the people are there. He goes from city to city to city. The theaters are packed because they all know him, and it all started online. And the big thing to add to that is when you're building your brand, a lot of people, when they go crowdfunding, they'll start crowdfunding a movie. So like I'm gonna make a horror movie and I'm gonna go crowdfund this horror movie. Well, you they, they don't think about longevity. They just think about the movie. 
So if you crowdfund the movie and you start building an audience just on this movie, if you go to a musical, it's going to be really difficult to take those people with you sometimes. So you've got to crowdfund it. You've got to build an audience around you as a production company, you as an artist, and that's how you can continue to grab them because they follow him. They don't follow the project, they follow him. And that's a mistake a lot of filmmakers make too, that they just stick on genre, they'll just stick on the story of the movie, and they don't think of the longevity. They don't think four or five steps ahead. They're just looking at what front of them. Well, that's the beauty of it, like I was saying. You'll be able to follow, you'll be, no matter what genre you're in, you'll always have a new, no matter what your subject matter is, you'll yeah. always have a new crowd to source, but you'll, you'll be able to bring the old crowd with you right. from project to project to project, because they're not just fans of your films, but not fans of the D film, they're fans of you. And that's ultimately what you're trying to build here, is fans of you and who you are and what you're about. And if you're delivering all the way through all the time, you'll have that. You'll have people, like I said, I talked about earlier, for the lineup, you know, right alongside you. That army will grow and grow and grow and grow. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's like the old, I always tell people, like crowdsourcing is like the old, you know, that shampoo commercial. You know, they told two people, and they told two people, and so on. So they go old, freaky commercial YouTube, but I probably just aged myself by about 40 years. Uh, but you get my point. You get my point. By the way, uh, you know, does anybody have any questions? Because we're probably... Uh, yeah, we'll be here for hours, so please. Yeah. Any questions? Yeah. Anybody, any questions so far? Anything? Anyone? Bueller? There we go. There we go. Do you guys talk about how you're offering value? You know, you guys are sort of attached to these sites, or attached to these education platforms. If you're simply a creative person who's basically making content, do you have any other suggestions of like the value you can offer? Can I, can I jump in here really quick? I want to, because I want to clarify something. We're both creatives, okay? So yes, I'm tethered to that platform, mm -hmm. right? But if you look at my social media feed, very rarely, I mean, yeah, I put up some posts from Stage 32. Some of the posts I put up from Stage 32 are people, filmmakers that write on our blog and film creators that are on our blog, where I want to share their content. But most of the content I put up is content that interests me. If you go on Stage 32 on every single Friday, I put up a thing called RB's Weekend Blog. The articles that are in that weekend blog, yes, it has some, it has site, you know, like lounge discussions and stuff like that. But you'll see, uh, Industry and, and entertainment news, uh, videos and tips, those three sections, those are all articles that I read during the week that I save in a Word document. Things that interest me that I think will interest the community, they don't benefit Stage 32. None of those links go to Stage, they're on Stage 32, but they, they link externally. Okay, those are, those are things that I'm giving to the community because I think that they will enjoy. So it's, it's my way of showing what I like to my own community. My Twitter feed is that all day long. And you know, he posts a lot of external stuff and a lot of stuff, you know, that I let you speak for yourself, but I, I just wanted to get that out. <laughs> yeah. No, maybe I won't let you speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but also don't don't forget too, like you were saying, like we, we're stuck with we're not stuck, but we we are attached to our, our brands and they are educational brands uh, and community brands as well. But you know, we're just two examples. I mean, there are guys who built multi-million dollar businesses off of YouTube, just putting out content that their audience likes, whether it be playing video games, whether it be funny videos. I mean, these guys, I know a lot of these guys that they made tens of thousands of dollars a month just purely because they're creating content. I know one, one group of guys that has probably about four or five million followers, and they've done a web series that got them network deals that now they're doing 
um, which I'm working with them on a project for Hulu, and they have like a, they, it's all built and built and built, and it took took them ten years to do. But it's like I said, it's a long game. But there's other avenues. You just have to find the platform that you want to go after and build the content around it. So we're just talking about Twitter and our websites and things like that. But there's multiple platforms out there. And again, it's about what who your audience is. Maybe you're an artist that just wants to draw. And you make, I mean, I know a bunch of artists that just draw funny cartoons or make amazing pieces of art, and they sell them on Etsy uh, as well. Um, sorry, Etsy. Um, but they, they sell it on Etsy, and they provide that value to, um, there's one guy on Instagram that did, he did a project, uh, a movie quote, for 365 days in a row. And every day he would draw up a new, like a cool picture of like, you know, Freddy, you know, from Freddy Krueger saying something or something like that. And we just go on, and I, I would follow him because every day I would come in and like, hey, and he was providing value to me. And then he would sell them on t-shirts and things like that. But that's what I'm talking about. So it's not just what we're talking about. There's multiple ways you can create content out there. Well, and think to yourself, right? I mean, really, before you send your next tweet or your next Facebook post or your next post on stage day two or your next picture on Instagram or anything like that, think to yourself, who am I? Like, you know, who, what is my brand? Who am I? Okay. What am I looking to accomplish, really? What am I looking to accomplish? What do I want my brand to be? What, how do I want people to perceive me? Who is my ideal follower? Who is the ideal person that I want in my network? Your avatar. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who's the ideal person besides me? Who's the ideal person that you want in your network? Okay, and then go out and pursue that. How, what's the approach to get to those people? What's the approach that is going to get me those followers and get that brand flowing? Okay, the people on YouTube that have these million, you know, millions and millions of followers, if you look at them, because I've looked at some of the tutorial videos, for example, the thing that they do beautifully, beautifully, is they, they know what their brand is and they stay on brand. And they don't just stay on brand with the YouTube video, they stay on brand with their marketing on social media, who they're targeting, how they're targeting, who they're engaging. Alex spoke earlier about being able to go to people. This is the beauty of social media as well. That's why I'm saying, like, look, I was not a believer. I've become, you know, I, a true believer. You can get to anyone at any time. Anyone at any time. Yeah. It's just about approach. The difference between him being able to engage you know, a Jim Wolves, or you know, as opposed to somebody else, is strictly approach. Well, it's two things. It's approach, and if you have the right approach, because you need that first, to get them curious enough, it's what you're putting out there and how you're presenting your brand. Because I'm sure he probably went to go look at your feed, saw everything that you did, and said, okay, this is legit, right? Think about that. What am I putting forward? What am I putting out there? Who is my ideal person? Who's my ideal follower? How do I engage that person? How do I get to that person? That's really what you want to be thinking about all the time. And I wanted to talk a little bit about crowdfunding, because I just went through the hell that is crowdfunding, my feature film. And uh, it was it was brutal. One of the most painful things that I've gone through. Breach birth. Oh my god, it was, it was just... And I, and I have an audience, and I have all this kind of stuff, but. It, it's just like this nerve-wracking 30 days. Like you launch, when I launched, I, I didn't launch as big as I wanted to, so I literally went away for five days. And I went back into my cave, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm, 
and I could, and you know, and I was more public about it because I have my, you know, everything. I've been talking about it for months on my podcast, and I have all these stuff. And, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna crowdfund. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you guys how to crowdfund. And it launches, and it launches okay, but it doesn't launch as big as I wanted it to launch. And I'm like, oh my! So I literally went back into, I literally, I went, I turned, just went back into the shell until I finally like had an intervention from my mastermind group. Um, and I can talk about a mastermind group afterwards, but, um, and all my guys, they're like, dude, you're like the marketing, what's wrong with you? Get out there. I haven't heard a thing about this thing in five days. I'm like, you know, so, uh, and then finally, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it just started pummeling my, my social media, uh, but with content. And how I approached it was not like, hey, check out my, hey, check out my crowdfunding campaign. Hey, check out my crowdfunding. I, I said, hey, Come along for the ride, and I'll show you how I crowdfund. Come along for the ride, and I'll show you how to make a micro-budget feature film. Because that's my audience. My audience are filmmakers. So that's how I approached it. So all of my messaging was that. I rarely ever said donate or contribute. I said, come along for the ride. By the way, here's some cool videos. Of, we already started shooting. Here's some cool videos that we made. Here's some funny stuff. So I was already providing value. I just had to kind of, get, yeah, I got shook enough, and then I got back into it. But the biggest lessons I learned in crowdfunding were that, first of all, I'm going to say 60 to 70 percent in my case were people I knew, were personal friends or connections to somebody that was in the business, uh, in the, in in the in the film. So friends of the actresses, friends of... Go ahead. Come on. Both of you, right here, now. RB, one more, right here, right here, right here. Yeah, let's come on, right here. There it is. Thank you. So um, about 60 to 70% are going to be people you know, which was shocking. I had people from high school building. I was like, wow, because they followed me on Facebook, and they want to be part of the excitement. The other 30% were followers of people who I you know built up over the course of you know the last year. And then there was a few probably, I would probably say a very small percentage of people who just kind of like moved on. I'm like, oh, this sounds cool. Very rarely. Uh, I didn't find much of that. And also the kind of movie I was doing, it's a dramedy. Um, it doesn't have any big stars in it. It's not genre. So it's a little harder to raise money for that kind of thing. I was making like Kung Fury, which if nobody has seen Kung Fury, Everyone should look up Kung Fury and their entire marketing campaign. It was brilliant. It was a little short film from Denmark, Sweden, some dude from like Sweden um, put out this like 30 minute 80s homage, which is the most ridiculous. I think it was like they had to go back in time with Thor to kill Hitler. Um, while this 80s action Miami Vice dude was like, it's just brilliant. It's a brilliant little piece. He's made millions off this. It's short. He's made millions. I've seen it on network television. And he crowdfunded like 120 grand because he went after his audience, which were probably guys like us from yeah, that time. Hitler haters. Uh, well, obviously Hitler haters, <laughs> But like 80s enthusiasts and guys who like the 80s and like action movies and like those kinds of things. But you should study their their whole marketing campaign, the whole crowdfunding campaign. Because it was it was actually very, very brilliant. How did you study? Huh? Kung Fury? Kung, like Kung Fu? And then Fury. Okay. Uh, F-U-R-Y. Kung Fury. Just type in Kung Fury movie and 
Just type in Kung Fury. There's no other Kung Fury out there. But that was my experience with crowdfunding. And I did. I was able to raise over $15,000, which my goal was 15. I, I, like, I got a little bit over $15,000. Um, and that's all I was going after. I wasn't going after a big number. I wasn't foolish enough to go, hey, I'm going to raise 75 grand. I, I, I just said, look, I'm just going to raise this. And, and I have other monies. This is what I'm going to raise. And I did a little bit of crowdsourcing with that. And a lot of people know about the movie now purely because of all the marketing and the push I did for the crowdfunding campaign. And now because I continue to um, put out content about the movie through my, my network, people are already starting like, I can't wait to see it, I can't wait to do this. And then I'm like, hey, I just finished the edit. They're like, how did you do that? I'm like, what camera are you using? How did you do that? How many people are in your crew? How did you get these actors? And I start engaging with them. And you know, this was all part of my master when I started in the film muscle. I, when I started in the film muscle, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build this audience up and then I'm gonna crowdsource one day, I'm gonna make a movie. I had no idea when, I had no idea how, but it kind of worked out the way it was. But it was very strategic on how I wanted to kind of build my audience. So eventually this audience would be able to not only hopefully support me financially, but also would be able to support my creative endeavors. I give them art, they give me something to survive and to make the art. And what a wonderful exchange that is. And if we as artists could do that, that would be great. And then later we could talk about the Thousand Truth Fans, uh, which I think uh, would be a great thing we can talk about. Yes. The thing, oh, yeah, that. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. If you have nobody, you have nothing, six months, if not a year. I'm, I'm not kidding. You, you just unless you're raising a thousand dollars, it also depends on what you're trying to do and what kind of movie you're making. You mean like a web series or a web series? Oh, you mean like to try to do a proof of concept to try to raise the rest of the money? Yeah, also to progress something. You could you could try doing something like know. that, but it all. Are you talking about a teaser video for what you're doing? Yeah. You mean a no more than two minutes? No, yeah, sure, sure. No, I was saying. You're asking two different questions. Yeah, it's true. You're asking yeah, two different true. questions. There's about creating. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. about creating okay, a, pitch, so. a pitch video or a, 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 a proof of concept video to try to get money to make a, okay. a large product. That's one thing. Sure. If you're going to try to crowdfund, create a pitch video, yeah. you can shoot some stuff. You can shoot a scene or two and create it in the pitch video. Pitch video should be no more than two to three minutes. Mine's just like. Two minutes and 40 seconds, huh? The pitch video is everything. The pitch video is absolutely everything. I mean, it, it literally, without the pitch video, that's what that's that's the window to your project. Right, because if you don't have any social media, with that, you can start that. Yeah, but no. No, 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 no. Look, I, you know, I, I literally have two, two chapters on this in the crowdsourcing book because it's that important. Absolutely true. Three to six months ahead, you know, depending on when you look at the race. Three to six months before you ever hit that launch button. And what are you doing during those three to six months? You're identifying and you're engaging your audience. Yep. There are five, I think, case studies in this book. Every one of them has something in common. And that is the fact that they took the time, and not all of them raised through crowdfunding, some of them raised traditional funding. It didn't matter. They spent three to six months identifying and engaging people in ways, not only, you know, in ways as far as just 
about the subject matter, about why the film was important, which, by the way, a pitch video should have a little bit of that as well, why this film is important to you, why you're doing it, a lot of you. Um, but they spent that time asking them questions. What we literally, you'll see in this book, crowdsourcing character names. What would you name this character? We're going to do a contest this week, okay, to all their followers. We're going to do a contest this week. You know, what would you do? Our character has, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, had a birth defect of some sort. Has anybody ever experienced this? Have, has anybody ever gone through that? There's these questions and this crowdsourcing. Is this, let me show you two pages of the script to show you what this character goes through. Is this authentic? Engagement, engagement, engagement. Going to locations and or going online and saying, hey, there's a key scene in this movie that takes place in a bar and there needs to be a live band and we don't have money to pay for a band and we can't, we don't know anyone that owns a bar. Who would be willing to be put, who would you know, be willing to put up their bar for nothing and we'll give them credit? This is what they spend the three to six months doing. Yeah. And guess what? People love to come forward. And guess what? When you get that bar, you get everybody that goes to that bar, and you get everybody, and oh, by the way, can you fill the bar with your extras, with people that come to the bar, because we need extras. This is what they spend three to six months doing. Yep. While they're doing that, while they're building that audience, and while they're building all that social credibility, okay? They are going to their family and friends. And I'm glad Alex brought up the fact that about 70% of his money came from family and friends because this is vitally important. Once you hit that launch button, when you're ready, you never go to your crowd in week one. You go to your friends and family, okay? And here's why. The other thing that Alex mentioned, I want to tap into that for a second too. He raised $15,000 because that's what he felt like he needed to raise. One of the biggest reasons why crowdfunding campaigns fail outside of the fact that people don't identify and uh, engage an audience is because they set their goal, their budget too high. They set too high of a goal, they're not realistic. They think they need more money than they really need. Or they want to pay, you know, they need $10,000 for the budget, but they want to raise 30 because they want to pay themselves 20. No. <laughs> but oh, you laugh. No, no, all the time. That's absolutely all the time. Like, why are you raising so much money? Like, people send me scripts and I'll look at their campaign and I'm like, you know, the movie could be made for five and they're, made, they're raising 20. I'm like, why are you raising 20? Well, no, I gotta walk away with something. Oh, really? Bad idea. And they'll smell it. And, and, they'll, and they'll smell it. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, they smell it from a mile away, okay? People are spending their time identifying and engaging the audience. They're going to their family and friends and they're saying, okay, when I push the button, please be ready. Not only are they pushing the button on the friends and family, but they're telling them, you get day one, you get day two, you get day three for the first week. Why? Two reasons. First of all, if you raise 25% of your total raise in the first seven days of the crowdfunding campaign, you have an 86% chance of raising all the money. If you raise 35% of your overall raise in the first seven days, you have a 97% chance of raising all your money. So, two incentives there. One, keep your budget real. Two, make sure that you have your friends and family supporting you for 35% of that budget. If you do not, do not press button, do not press launch, on your, on your, do not pass go. Do not pass go. <laughs> do not press that button, okay? Once you get past week one, then you move your crowd. Then you go to your crowd and you say, yes, I'll get to you one second. Then you get to your crowd and you say, now you come in, okay? Now you come in behind this. 
If you get to that 35% mark, if you have spent your, your three to six months identifying and engaging that audience, you will have a successful campaign. When you sit there and you say no social media, you know, you're starting, think about starting, like think about a long jump starting from a dead stop. You know what I mean? Instead of a running start. You want that running start, okay? Because here's the other part of this. It's a very competitive field now, right? It's a very competitive field. It's not 2008. <laughs> Momentum is the key to a crowdfunding campaign. The reason why you want people going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in that first day is so that people see that there's momentum. So that people that do stumble upon the campaign when you get those three bucks, see the momentum. Or when you go to move your crowd, they sit there and they go, oh shit, this thing really does have legs. I'm in. It's gonna happen. I'm in and I'm behind it. Everything that she said over those three to six months is true. Okay, she's got this following. This is gonna happen, and she's gonna take us all with her. That's what you want. Now, when you're at the uh, early stages of that campaign, it's sort of like the family aspect of it, is what type of contributions, this is really specific, was it any contribution from you, or are you trying to set like a, like $10 to $20 from everyone, or does it all depend on like what the full size of your, your Get as much money as you can. Get as much money as you can. So it's not like a whole bunch of small contributions. No, 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 it doesn't matter. It's like it's like doing like you never do the uh, the um, like those those walks where you collect dollar, like dollar per mile or dimes yeah, per mile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go out and you ask people like, what are you willing to give before you go yeah. and walk? Right? right. That's exactly what you want to do. What are you willing to give? Mom, dad, what are you willing to give? Okay, they're willing to give 500. Okay, great. What are you willing to give? 20. Now you have a sort of a ledger of what people are willing to give. That allows you to say, you give in day one, you give in day two. Because what you don't want is you don't want to turn on the friends and family thing. Like, let's say in your friends and family week, you're expecting $5,000 total, okay? You don't want those five thousand, that five thousand dollars in day one, because all of a sudden day two, three, four, five, and there's nothing there. And then when you go to turn to the crowd, they go, "Oh shit!" You know, somebody, the rich uncle gave him five grand. Right. You know what I mean? This right. thing's not going anywhere. You want to say five hundred here, five hundred here, five hundred here, and then all of a sudden, maybe in the last couple of days, that seven fifty, a thousand, twelve fifty. You know what I'm saying? So it looks like you're going. But if you know ahead of time. It's just an honest question. What are you willing to give? Like, what, you, what would you be willing to donate to this, you know, to, to the cause, so to speak? And then the, the other thing is, a lot of times people say that, you know, you go into a crowdfunding campaign, like, oh, there's five donations and there's ten thousand dollars. That's kind of fishy. So I get what you're saying. Like, should I have a bunch of little ones yeah. or have a big one? Well, you don't have really control of that. So you do what you can. Like, you, like you said, grab as much, grab as much money as you can and spread it out over that time from your friends and your family. And it is what it is. Like I, you know, I, that's why I went back into my shell after the first two, three days because I was like, I had a bunch of, I had a couple big chunks in. I'm like, man, I only got like 15 or 20 people that donated, and you know, I don't even know what it was. Like it was at four grand or something like that, which was nice, three grand or four grand, but I was expecting a lot more and so on. And and then by the end of it, I had 120 donations, like different people. So I had a lot of five dollar, ten dollars. And that's when all my followers came in, you know, students. I had students, I had one student who gave me $25 week two. She's like, I'm gonna get paid in a week and I'll give you another donation. And she hit me up with $25 again. And that like touched me like you have 
no idea. Like, wow. And she's a filmmaker trying to crowdfund her own campaign. But because of all the content and all the all the value that provided her, she felt that she needed to do that. So you won a champion. Yeah. That's it. Exactly. You won a champion by putting out all the information, you're putting out the world that you yeah. know I mean? That's it. Yeah. Yes. Um, when your whole network is all filmmakers, how do you uh, <laughs> how, do you, how do you make money? No, no, no. How, do you, how do you, like, say, for example, you want to do a project and, and it's about other things other than the industry or whatever. It could be whatever. How do you, what techniques do you use to target your audience to bring those people in that are not filmmakers but people who might like whatever that, that thing is? Well, I mean, perfect example is, um, let's say I'm going to make, about, I always use this example, but a vegan chef. I'm going to make a vegan chef movie. A movie about my main character is a vegan chef. So who do I go after in that market? Well, I go after... Not me. Obviously not. Not, <laughs> not the carnivore next to me. Um, but, you know, you go after, obviously, vegans, vegetarians, organic movements, uh, slow cooking people, people who like to do slow cooking, um, the cooking crowd, which is huge, all that kind of stuff. And you start aiming at those people through those accounts, those social media, Facebook groups are huge. They have full, they have full groups that have tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of people who are your audience, where you can easily just post and go, hey, check out, don't, don't say, hey, check out my crowdfunding campaign. You have to come be a little bit more creative than that. Be a little bit more creative than that. But if it's a vegan chef, like start creating recipes. And like, hey, boom, 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 this is like this guy. And you know, and then really soft, you know, maybe just start getting in there, provide value, and then go, hey guys, by the way, after two or three months of you providing all these recipes or articles about health or whatever, and people keep seeing you, you go, guys, I'm making a movie about a vegan chef. And everyone's gonna go, What? How much do you need? And they just write you a check. <laughs> but that's how but that's that's one way of doing it and attacking you have to understand who your audience is. And once you understand who your audience is, just go where they hang out. So then you guys spend like three to six months hanging out with them. Building those relationships. This is work, guys. A lot of work. It's a lot of work. And by the way, we've only spent totally right. But by the way, we also haven't spoken about what we keep talking about is social media, which I know we're here. That's what we're here to talk about. But chat boards, infiltrate chat boards, offline efforts. Are there vegan, you know, things in your neighborhood groups? Restaurants, by the way. Hey, I'm going to film this thing. There's going to be a scene in the movie. Can I come here? Will you tell your customers about it? There are a million ways you are only limited by your creativity and your imagination. I will repeat that. You're only limited by your creativity and your imagination. There are a million ways to get out there through social media and offline. Sure. If you reach 25% of your goal, and you'll see varying reports on this, but my percentages are right around the median. You'll have, in the first seven days, you'll have about an 86 to 87% chance of reaching your overall goal. If you hit 35% in the first seven days, that goes up to about 96, 97%. Harvey, talk about sure. how, yeah, talk about how important it is to leverage the gap on that once you get that. Well, we, we, did, we did with friends and family. Look, every... Uh, no. Unbelievable. SC right there. Um, 
What was the question? I lost the question. What was the question? Like how that was. Oh yeah, yeah. How can we leverage once we get to that point, maybe six, eight thousand? How do we leverage that for that gap? Well, and what ends up happening is that you ultimately and inevitably hit a lull in a crowdfunding campaign. Almost every single one of them hits a lull about week three. Some of the best campaigns. Okay, here's the thing. Some of the best campaigns keep three lists. And, and this is this is in the book as well as far as a, a, an actual case study that I thought was very fascinating, but I've heard other people do it certain ways, different ways, but this one I thought was really cool. These are people that have done this before, have been through the laws, they actually have been through a couple of failed campaigns, and they even knew about doing the friends and family thing the right way, but they didn't carry the rest of it, they didn't carry the crowd. What they did was, for one of their, for one of their films, and it was a film about hiking, it's, it's a movie called Mile, Mile and a Half. It's a documentary, you guys seen it? I saw a couple of nodding, nodding, nodding. A friend of mine produced that film. It's a case study in my book. They raised $85,000 for a documentary about freaking hiking the John Muir Trail. Doesn't sound all that compelling, does it? But here's the thing. They were filmmakers. They were cinema there were four cinematographers and a sound engineer. So immediately, you have the filmmakers that are going to be engaged by this. Because what they wanted to do is they wanted to film the John Muir Trail in its beauty, as it's never been, the entire thing, all the ecosystems, various ecosystems, as it's never been filmed and recorded before. That's interesting. They went to the hikers, to the health nuts. They asked people, give us, well, listen, we're going to be on the trail for 30 days, we're not hikers. Give us recipes that we could put into a hiking club. They went to chefs, give us recipes that we could, they went to everybody. Okay, this film, by the way, when they get done crowdsourcing, crowdfunding and crowdsourcing, this film, this film not only went way past their goal, but it was the only film ever at the LA Film Festival to sell out two dead open of a second theater because the whole crowd came with them. Okay? But here's what they did for the crowdfunding campaign. Friends and family, week one. The crowd, week two. The hiking crowd. The filmmaker crowd. All that. Okay? They knew they would hit open low in week three. So they saved the bloggers, the journalists, all the people that you know wanted to write about this thing, or really the chat board people, really interesting, for week four. So when they hit that low, by the time they got to the end of week three, when they got to the beginning of week three, they were almost at 70% of the goal. When they got to the end of the week three, they were at like maybe 75, 76% because they had that low. And then they pushed the button on those other people, done, well over. And they bought that entire crowd with them. By the way, so successful that REI and some of these other hiking companies gave them the equipment to go. I mean, this is crowdsourcing. This is being created. That's how, but that's how you bridge the gap as far as crowdfunding is concerned. I want to give you guys an example of an old school way of doing this before social media. In 2005, I made a really short film. And that short film I made for about eight grand. It was an action movie. I had no stars. I, was sh I shot it. Um, West Palm Beach, Florida. Shot it on mini DV, DVX 100A, for all the old folks in the crowd. Um, and um, I, did, I, had, I did about 100 visual effects in, a, in that little movie. And I said to myself, well, how am I going to sell this movie? And I was like, well, no one's going to pay money to buy this. No, nobody in the real world out there. It's not going to be on Best Buy. So I said, well, what am I going to do? Like, who can I sell this to? I'm like, well, I think. I think filmmakers might be interested in how I was able to do a, a movie for eight grand with a hundred visual effects shots in it and 
created the looks that I was able to create, and the production quality that I was able to create with the movie. So I created this um, three and a half hour Royal Film School. Printed my own DVD. And during all this time, I had been, unbeknownst to me, crowdsourcing because I was hitting every message board on the internet. If you were in 2005 online and you even remotely looked at a message board anywhere in the world that was in English and some that were not, you saw my mug and this project. Clips from the project, the pre-production, so I had so much built up when I launched that DVD for sale. All I remember, I still remember to this day, was that PayPal ding coming in my emails. Ding, 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 ding. We sold 250 copies at 20 bucks a pop in the first day. And we, you know, my partner, I had no idea. We were like, you know, how many mail these were we going to do? I ended up selling over 5,000 copies of it and made over 90,000 dollars. Over the for an eight thousand dollar movie with no stars in it, I'm still selling it today. Not on DVD now. I sell it on a digital platform and packaged it with a whole bunch of my other short films and so on. But my point is that I was able to do this all by crowdsourcing, by going after my market. And believe me, there was no master plan behind this. I was doing it instinctively. I just like, well, there's the people. We go where the people are, and I just kind of did it. And I also used MySpace. Um, a little bit of MySpace. It was huge on MySpace. Uh, <laughs> GeoCities was was kicking. No, GeoCities. <laughs> yeah, I loved it with CompuServe. But anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, but it worked, and uh, I was able, to, and that taught me the power of what crowdsourcing was before crowdsourcing became a thing. So when I came back into this world again within the film console, I looked, learned those from those lessons and. Just use all these amazing tools now that that are available that um, that I didn't have back then. So it's it's definitely possible. But don't just look at social media. Like Arvin was saying, message boards are super powerful. So message boards, chat rooms, all those kind of things, and then getting articles written on certain blogs, connecting with bloggers, connecting with YouTube. That there's so many ways to get your name out there, get your project out, and get offline. I mean, get out there in the, you know, get out there in the real world. I mean, another uh, another example of this in, in the book is a, um, a case study. Uh, oh my God, I can't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They used they needed to film around Connecticut, and they were filming some of the scenes where at some major um, uh, political sort of land, government landmarks. You know, you had to get permits. You had to get this. Well, they ended up doing trade. They ended up doing a deal with the governor's office where they said, we will show the film at like City Hall because it features the city. If you will give us these locations, you can crowdsource anything, okay? But it's about building relationships. It's about gaining, you know, we talk about this very, very much when it comes to, we, you know, all these different talks and all these different things we, we do. You know, whether it's social media, whether it's net, you know networking, online, offline, whether it's crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, and everything like that. It comes down, Brandy back there, my friend Brandy, wave Brandy. Brandy's a stage 32 member. She has heard me speak for freaking five years on this. But this word, champions, it's about yeah. winning champions. It really, really is. It's about winning champions of who you are, what you're looking to accomplish, what you're looking to do as a filmmaker, 
that really ends up winning everything and winning people, winning people into your trust and winning people that want to move along with you. So how do you gain those champions? And it's all the ways that we talked about tonight. It's all the ways that, you know, it's the reason why, you know, your friends and family run through fire for you. They're champions of you, right? You built those relationships. It's the reason why a mile, a mile and a half, the people that make this film, that at first legitimately said, and these filmmakers told me this, they were like, we put that number up there, $85,000, we had never crowdfunded anything before, and we put that number up there and said, we are going to get torched. You know, we raise 5,000, we'll be lucky, you know what I mean? And they put that 85 up, and I think they raised, that. it was over 100, whatever they ended up with, okay? Because they won champions, because they spent three to six months, even though they, even though they spent the three to six months, they built a torch. But they really did do it the right way. They had champions. People have followed them. They want a sequel. They're killing them. They're like, you guys need to leave your family and friends again for another six weeks and go do something else. Go hike Everest. Film it. They're like, literally, these people are killing them to go do something else because they love what they did and how they did it and the fact that they stayed to this day. I still get the emails. Like, they send out a newsletter every month just saying, hey, you know, this is what we're up to now. Here's pictures of our kids. Here's pictures of the dogs. And people who love it. They love it because they're champions. They're champions of it. They love it. So, you know, it just goes to show you the power of you and what you have, the tools you have at your disposal, which is you and your passion and your love and your wants and your needs and everything that makes you human is going to make you attractive to other people if you handle yourself well. Questions? Yes, sir. I don't want to monopolize it. Yeah, one of them. Yeah, I just wonder if you guys could move a little from the, uh, the funding side of things to the distribution side and talk about social media and how it's Actually. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what kind of distribution are you talking about? Are you talking about self distribution? Well, we talking about making it, getting it, getting the money, materials, sure. and, and building an audience. And how do you, like, how do you, so if you, if you have content, Finished content. You got any tips on like getting it out there? What's the content? Like well, a short film? Is it a short film? Is it a feature? Is it a web series? Specifically working on is a comedy web series. Yeah. Okay. So web series are really interesting because they're not as um, it's, the competition's a lot harder for them than they used to be. Before it was much more novel. Now everybody has a web series, so it's a little harder to sell. Um, what I would do is, is instead of packaging it as a web series, I would package it as a, just as a series or something like that. Don't use the word web series. This is just me personally talking. Um, because when I hear web series, I'm like, because I, I rarely see good web series. It's rare to see. So if you just call it a series, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, an anthology, whatever you want to call it, but maybe that would help. Selling it is going to be interesting because if you have a series, if you're going to try to package it to sell it to an audience member, um, are you going to talk? Are you talking about YouTube? Because then there's that route of going about it. It, it, it. it also depends on what kind of series it is. There's a lot of variables in, in doing it. I can tell you what I, what I would do for a feature, um, and maybe that will help you a little bit. For a feature film, um, you target your audience. Now, you're talking about self-distribution or trying to go after a traditional distributor? Well, I'm just kind of like, uh, I mean, me specifically, um, would love to get an actual distributor or actually a platform to partner with. But I mean, self distribution is the more of the 
So again, with self-distribution, and and I'm a big proponent of self-distribution, but there's a lot of um, ignorant uh, information out there in regards to self-distribution. If you have a hundred thousand dollar budget film and you're going to self-distribute, you better have such an amazing marketing plan and social media plan to be able to recoup that money. If you have a $5,000, $10,000 feature, it's a different plan altogether. I would say anyone, anyone coming to me, and I've had a lot of clients come to me, and they're like, hey, we've got a half a million dollar movie, we're gonna self-distribute it. I'm like, so you're not making money? Because it's, I mean, I can count on one hand how many movies have made money self-distributing. It's really difficult, like a lot of money. And a lot of them, mostly the documentaries, oddly enough, uh, documentaries do very well with self-distribution, much more because of its, its cause and the kind of subject matter. But for narrative films to make, a lot of money self-distribution is, is a little difficult. But that's where the plan comes in. So I'll use me, I'll use me as an example. I have a low-budget or micro-budget film that I've created, and my distribution plan is I'm going to submit to Sundance, like everybody else. Um, we're going to throw that lottery ticket in, and we're going to submit to some of the big festivals. And we're going to see how they treat us. Um, and, but we're also strategic about what our subject matter is and what kind of festival is going to be open to us. You always submit this on this because I think everyone by law has to submit this on this. I think it's by law, right? I, I think that's a fact that you have to submit this on this. Um, <laughs> but, so we'll see how that process goes. And then based on what that reaction is, if we get picked up by a South by Southwest or a Tribeca or a Telluride or, you know, or any of these you know, top tier festivals, that would lead us down one path. If we get no love from any of the big festivals, and then we start going to more of the second tier festivals, and we get some love from them, that will determine another path. So because our budget was so low, we crowdsource. I have my own audience. The actors are all involved have audiences. Self-distribution makes sense because the, the, to make money and recoup is easier. I was able to make 90 grand, over 90 grand selling a short film. That cost me eight grand. You see, and I self-distributed that through DVDs. Now there's Amazon Video on Video Direct. There's IndieFlix. There's Vimeo. There's I mean I, I have just so much content on my website in regards to multiple revenue streams on how to create money for your movies. But it's about keeping that budget low. So if you start going 50, 100 grand, self distribution is really challenging. Not impossible. Challenging. You really have to understand the marketplace in order to do that. So the web series is going to be interesting. I don't know. I don't know because I've not seen a web series sold unless you sell it to Crackle or or someone like that that's going to buy it outright to make it. I don't know what your budget is, but if it's over five or ten grand, it's be really difficult to be able to monetize that unless you already have an audience built up where you can just throw it into the pipeline and sell to that audience. Yeah, and I and I think that that's a good segue into what do you want to get out of it, right? So I think that at the end of the day, I think that you know we we I see it all the time on stage. Like people get very caught up in I want to make money with a short or a web series, and if you're here for the panel Friday night. You know you heard a bunch of the panelists talk about the fact that there's very little money in shorts. There are other exceptions to the rule, but you know it's it's a tough field. So the reality of the situation really in my opinion is if you're looking if you're looking to make money it's going to be more of a challenge if you're looking at for it if you're looking at your web series or, or your short 
as proof of concept to either a bigger film, you know, feature, or a television show, or to your talents, proof of concept of your talents. Branding, branding yourself. Branding yourself and proof of talents of what you can do, what you can accomplish. Then the reality is to me, get it the hell out there. Get it seen. Use every avenue. Don't worry about the nickels and the dimes because again, as we've talked about a million times tonight, this is a long game. Not just networking, being a creative in general. It's a long game. And the long game starts with recognition. How do you get recognition? When we're shooting phone, I mean, we're shooting our movies on these phones now, okay, and the barrier of entry gets lower, the cost of entry gets lower, more and more people are jumping over the barrier. That means there's more and more noise. Well, how do you stand out from the noise? Well, I've seen some really, really good filmmakers mute themselves because they don't want to get their films out there because they feel like if they put it up on Vimeo, they may not get into Film Festival X. Well, look, if you're spending a shitload of money trying to get into Film Festival X, Y, Z, and AA, okay, you may be short-selling yourself, and you may be closing the window on yourself. You just spent all this time putting yourself in a position to make a film, maybe raising money, maybe putting things into play that, you know, calling in favors that you're not going to be able to call in again, and you're killing yourself because nobody is seeing the damn thing. Get the damn thing seen. Get it in front of the people. And by the way, this is another thing. I mentioned this Friday night, but I'll mention it again if you weren't here. There are so many snake oil salesmen online. Okay? With, you know, when it comes to the short film contest, web series contest, people that swear they can take you here, there, and everything else. Know what you're spending money on. Know what you're entering. Know what you're getting yourself into. Do not enter a contest that doesn't give you access and opportunity. Do not enter a contest that does not, if you win, put you in front of people that can move the needle on your career, okay? Get you meetings, get you in front of people, get you managers, agents, producers looking at it, okay? Those are the places you want to be. There are a lot of scams out there. Do your due diligence, please, okay? But ultimately, going back to my original point, get the material seen. I'm going to interrupt you right now, Harvey. How important is it for the client? For the, for the proof of concept, how important is that, that visual proof of concept? Proof of concept is everything. I mean, look, if, if, you know, we had, um, uh, oh, God, I'm like, I'm like, uh, the, the, the whiplash. Uh, Tyler Ruggieri. Tyler Ruggieri, who was the manager at the time for Damien Chazelle, who did Whiplash. Whiplash, you know, was a, a originally, originally conceived as a feature, written as a feature, Nobody wanted to back the damn thing, so he made it as a proof of concept. And what he did was he took a, just one segment of the movie, and if you've seen the movie, the segment that made up the short was when uh, the J.K. Simmons character, J.K. Simmons, by the way, played the same character in the short, but it wasn't Miles Teller that was the drummer. But J.K. Simmons takes him into his confidence, and then, you know, in the office, you know, basically says to him, you're the next big thing, and then kicks the shit out of them in the actual studio. That was pretty much the whole short. They submitted it to Sundance, as we were talking about earlier, and I was said on the panel, you have a better chance of getting struck by lightning than getting a short into Sundance, but it got in. And by the way, just to, to not put that on a very negative note, the short got into Sundance, but by the way, the feature was submitted to the lab and didn't get in. But the short got into Sundance, one Sundance got because of the proof of concept 
got the funding to turn it into a feature film. J.K. Simmons came back, they got Miles Teller, they shot it in whatever many days, put the thing into the can, put it back into Sundance, got into Sundance the following year, and went from winning the short in 2013 or 14 to winning the feature in 15. Well, yeah, so the short in 14 to winning the feature in 15. Proof of concept. They got that short out everywhere. Everywhere. Super powerful, but they got it out everywhere. They didn't worry about making money off the short. When they made Whiplash, they made sure that every freaking executive in town saw that short. They made sure it was on every platform, it was available everywhere. They moved their crowd, because there was a big crowd behind the filmmakers, and they moved them to say, hey, you gotta check this out. And that's why they got into the Sundance, and the Sundance the following year too, of course. So yes, you're very welcome. Thank you for heckling. So, Just kidding. Um, to carry on with what you're talking about, sometimes filmmakers have a choice. Like, say, for example, I made a short. I got into a few festivals. I got into the Cannes Short Film Corner, and then I met some. Thank you. I met some distributors when I was over there at March Avenue Film, and they wanted to put it on platform. Indie Flicks, a couple of you know, play festival films, some apps and stuff. But they say it cannot be on YouTube. It cannot be on. It cannot be on the internet for free if you want to put it on their distribution platform. So if that, so you have to make a decision. You're going to get more views on the free platforms like YouTube, but it seems like, I know in the, in the old days it was like that. If your film has a distributor, meaning a third party, that, that is not just taking it for free, but it's been curated by people who somehow feel like they have talent, to recognize talent, that it gives me as a filmmaker and my film a better resume so that I can use that later in terms of talking, as opposed to I put it on YouTube or Vimeo, it's there for free, it gets maybe, hopefully, a lot of views, mm -hmm. but people go, oh, well, it's just on YouTube, so unless it gets over 500,000 and you get some, you know, some digital agent that says, okay, we'll have you brand some products now. I'm just trying to find out today in 2016, what should our focus be in terms of where do we go with our Content. I want to leave with that answer, clarify the journey, the end, end result, and then these two guys right here will connect that, right? Full and gay. Well, no, I, I, well, I think what you're trying to say is you've got to make a decision of what you, what, what you want that content to do for you. So if your end game is to make money, then maybe the distribution aspect is better. Is your end game to get attention and get credibility as a filmmaker? And get more eyes on it than the other avenues on it. These are these are the tough decisions that you will have to make moving forward in your career. Because you know, for me, when I did that little short film, that there was no like YouTube was just too boring. There were no other options for me to get the word out there. I don't know. Maybe I would have put it out there for free, but I decided no. I'm going to try to make some money with this, and it turned out to make sense for me. But it all depends on what your end game is, and that's something you have to be very clear with yourself when you go down any road. And, and, and on a side note, guys, when you make your first feature, don't think you're going to get rich on You're not. And you should, that shouldn't be the goal anyway. It shouldn't be the goal. If you're going into your first feature going, I'm going to make, I'm going to just, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to quit Sundance, Harvey's going to come down, give me a check, we're going to just go, you know, and, and that's it. And we're going to Cannes. If you're going to tell, because I've met multiple of those guys in my post-production suite, um, 
if you're going into it with that, you're going to fail and you're going to fail miserably, and you'll probably get you'll probably never go back into the game. Understand that a lot of a lot of filmmakers get so caught up in their first because it's so difficult sometimes to get that first thing made that you get so attached to it. It's my baby. I can't let go. You can't be that precious with it, especially with your first feature. You've got to just get it out there, and it, just know when you make your first feature, just you're like, I'm not going to make money. I'm just going to get it out there. I'm going to try to get it. I'm going to get it to festivals. I'm going to get attention. Maybe I'll get an agent. Maybe I'll get a manager out of it. Maybe I'll, you know, get a financer to finance my next project. By the way, I always have two or three other projects lined up right behind it, and so on. You're not going to make money on your first product, but there are those rare exceptions. Like myself, I'm going to make millions. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no question. No, but you're gonna, you know, we hear this all the time in the screenwriting space. All the time, I hear it from the oh, screenwriters. Like, you know, I have one show, as we talked about this on Friday too, so if you're here, I apologize, but I'm going to use the same analogy. You know, you know, I have one Joe's screenwriting contest. Well, okay. Managers, agents, producers, de development executives, they don't know who Joe's contest, they don't know from Joe's contest, and they don't care, okay? They know, you know, the nickel, they know the page, they, fortunately for us down the start, they get to know the stage 32 contest and stuff like that. That's fine, because you can go to that, you can, you can use that, right? You made the Cannes Short Film Corner. It's the freaking Cannes Film Festival. You can go out there with that. That's actually very, very good, okay? But if you're winning minor film festivals, there's nothing wrong with that. You can absolutely say, and you know, we, we had this conversation the other night, that sometimes the audience awards are better than winning the actual smaller film festivals because it proves to the concept that the, the audience, real, the fans enjoyed the film, right? The fans of film enjoyed the film. You have to decide and be honest with yourself as to what matters and what doesn't. So if you're winning minor film festivals and you're not getting any traction off of it, you're afraid that if you expose it now, you're not going to be able to enter the next one or the next one or the next one. I think you get the eyeballs on it. And I think in this day and age where, you know, you have agents hiring people from YouTube based on views, managers, I mean, I told this story the other night too, it's, this is a true story. When, when the Vimeo short film corner came out, and the, you know, the Vimeo started showcasing shorts, nobody in the industry took it seriously. All my manager friends, all my producer friends, development executives, they were like, whatever, okay? I literally was having lunch with a manager a couple of weeks ago who said to me, I'm almost, I, I'm almost afraid to have lunch anymore because if something gets posted and it goes viral, by the time I get back, that person's signed. I don't have a chance been on it. This is the world we live in now. Yeah. So it's not always I got into this. Sometimes it's I caught fever with this. I caught the audience with this. So you gotta make your choices and you gotta you gotta be realistic with what's really important, what isn't. I mean it's become a joke in a way, how many of those Laurel, you know, the film festival Laurel thing. I mean like you know what I mean? Like you know I'll tell you what I did when I first went, I got into 185 film festivals. With that, with that one short, and I stopped. I just stopped because I could have gotten to probably another hundred if I wanted to. Because I kept submitting, and it just worked. And I just because at a certain point, at a at a certain point, I said, "Well, I didn't get into Sundance, and I didn't get into X Y Z film festivals, so I'm just going to submit to everybody." And I just submitted to everybody, and I actually did it all for free, by the way. There's, uh, you can ask me afterwards about how I did it, but. 
Um, I only paid for about 30 of them, and after that, I just refused to spend money on them. But I just kept, I just kept going, and throughout my entire directing career, I've done probably about four shorts only, and I've been in over 600 film cuts of that. Now it sounds wonderful, but Harvey has not given me that check yet. You know, so it really doesn't. Harvey Firestein. That would be Harvey Firestein. Um, <laughs> um, but so at the end of the day, it doesn't. It's nice and everything, but like at the end of the day, did it get me where I wanted to go? You know, I had Roger Ebert review my movie, and I wasn't even in the festival, and I got a positive thumbs up review from Roger from while I was visiting the Toronto Film Festival. Now that's pretty cool, though. It is the coolest. And that I put on the poster. That I do put. It's, it's on my tombstone. <laughs> it's literally already created. It's on my tombstone. Yeah, yeah. I, I can recite with the thumb. With the thumb. Like, but what about the distribution aspect? Like after the festival run, the film, if it has legs, it could live for the rest of your life and even after your death in other platforms of okay. distribution. But I'm just saying, does it lose? You can lose that by going to YouTube route because you nobody else, nobody. Got, and and, I, and I, I get this a lot from a lot of filmmakers. You just got to make a choice for money. And what, what's your aim? What's your aim? Is your aim to get signed with an agent or a manager? Then put it on Vimeo, and let's see what happens. If your if your aim is to get a lot of festivals and go around and and, and be in festivals, festivals are wonderful. I've been in Holly Schwartz multiple times. I love festivals; they're great. And believe it, I didn't go to all six hundred of those festivals, and I've been to many festivals. So if you haven't gone through that process, it's super fun, it's super wonderful. But after you know, for me, like. Eh, now I'm going to hopefully go to festival with features. And now that whole experience is different than what I did with shorts. But it's about what you want this to aim at. You've got to hit your target. It's marketing. At the end of the day, it's, it's, you're back to marketing and branding. What do you want to do with that piece of content? Do you want a manager? Do you want to make money? Do you want to get eyeballs on you? Do you want to build a brand? These are questions you have to answer yourself for yourself and your content. And it's about being honest with yourself. Yeah. The beauty right of right now. I mean, I tell everybody, it's it's such an amazing time getting waved. We got told 10 minutes about a four-hour sample, it's okay. Um, the beauty of right now is the opportunities have never been greater. The choices have never been more abundant. There are so many ways to get a movie done. There are so many ways to get a movie seen. There are so many ways to get a movie distributed. It really is an incredibly exciting time. But it really all starts with being honest with yourself. What are your goals? What do you have? What is, you know, is the end game money? If it's not money, it's exposure. And then how do you go about it? And how do you go about it in an honest and true way that is going to give you the maximum value for what you spent so much time creating? Because here's the thing. 99% of the people who make movies today put 99% of their effort into making the movie. They don't put any time, thought, or effort into who's going to watch it, why are they going to watch it, how are they going to watch it, and ultimately, what does it matter to me, and what do I want? They don't think about it. They just think it's the old way, and the old way was create art and get it out there, and an audience will find it. Well, get me, let me tell you something. That's shit today. Because the reality of the situation was back then, you didn't have control over it. Now, you have full control over it. 
It's the people that think it through from concept to completion and beyond that win the day and get to move on to the next thing and to the next thing and to the next thing. And by the way, bring the audience with it. Anybody, last question? Yeah. Um, how many times do you guys tweet a day? I was very fortunate <laughs> on another festival to meet um, and tweet an entertainment. I've just tweeted it now, how did you vote in it? Because I couldn't remember, she told me, she said, right, Fiona, you should do, especially with the project, tweet so many times a day. And she just told me five to eight times whether you're tweeting content, information, news, anything, like to keep giving your name out there. How many times do you guys do it? Um, I, I tweet 30, 40 times a day. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. Twitter is one of those, but the thing is, Twitter is one of those platforms that it's constantly moving. Yes. So if I tweet now, only the people that happen to look at me at that moment is going to tweet. So I'll, I'll, I'll tweet 30, 40 times a day, purely because I won't catch it. And, and, I, and I tested it. I actually tested it. I'm like, you know what, I'm, not just gonna, I'm gonna tweet 50 times today. You repeat that? Like, no, it's not the same tweet. It's like different tweets. Yeah, I'll do like the same tweet maybe three times in a day, morning, afternoon, and evening, like you know that late evening, afternoon, and then I'll just tweet other things. So I just pounded it one day. I'm like, let me see how many people I lose. And lose anyway. So I'm like, okay, so this is the way it's done. It just up. disappears after It just goes through, and then like I think in my entire year, I had one guy go, "You tweeted twice. I'm not gonna follow you." Like, see you. You know, <laughs> it's just gone. I think we're getting pulled off, so I'm gonna answer this really quick, but I look at it differently. How many, how much information do you want to get out there that you tweet, right? I don't look at it as how many times you tweet a day, I look at it more, how many times do you engage with other people a day? So it's not just the information you're trying to get out there, but the information that people are putting at you. How many times, really on Twitter, because I know the answer to this in this room and other rooms, do you actually look at your home stream and look at what other people are tweeting and respond to it? Thank you for posting that. I retweet Bring a lot, actually. All right, I retweet. Because I'm saying, I feel like you're sharing don't. information and you, and you can't yeah. accept it. Well, they've done because they've that's done. the participation. See, a lot of people don't do that. That's the participation. That's what I would be asking myself more. You want to put original content up there? You can do it five to eight times. You can do it 30 times. It doesn't matter. People won't get sick of the content if they like you. They love this guy. You look at his engagement when you look at his stream. They love what he puts out there. Why wouldn't I want more of what he's putting out there? It's just more for me to look at, okay? But the other thing that they're engaged by is that he's engaged. That's what matters. So, in those 30, 40 tweets, I also retweet a lot in those 30, 40 tweets. And by the way, you go nuts looking at statistics online and what this and what that. You know, you know what passes the test? The smell test. Are you getting responses? Are you getting engagement? Are people retweeting you? Are people happy you're retweeting them? I mean, that's what. That's where you're gonna know. Are you Are you guys still here? If you guys are still here, my God, you guys are troopers and true believers of the indie film tribe, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to me squawk even more than I usually do, and I even brought help along this time to squawk even more than I than I do on a normal day. So uh, I really hope you guys got a lot out of that. Uh, I, I really loved doing it, and it was a lot, a lot of fun, and uh, I hope to be doing more of those in the future, uh, doing more live events so I can reach out to the tribe and uh, and get uh, get to know you guys a little bit better. So 
Hope you liked it, guys. I'm, I'm going to keep this short. Keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia.